Thank you for joining us for today's Real Life Today Bible Study with Dr. Brad Witt from the Book of Romans. Thank you for your prayer and support that enables us to share this practical biblical teaching. So grab a Bible, a notebook, and a pen, and let's study God's Word together. All right, hey, we're in Romans chapter 2. We're glad that you're here this morning. Thank you uh, for being here today. Uh, This will be a little bit of a shorter study because there's just not that much to cover, and I don't want to get ahead uh, into Romans chapter 3. So what we're going to do this week uh, is we're going to be looking at Romans 2, the end of the chapter today. I'm traveling Thursday. That kind of works out well for me. I'm traveling Thursday, so there will be no devotional Thursday morning in Romans. Uh, And then that lets me kind of get back on track next week beginning with Romans chapter 3. I, I want to kind of take a chapter a week. That's my goal. That was my goal from the beginning. And we kind of got off track. And so this week with my travel schedule, that allows me to kind of get back on track. So we're going to finish Romans chapter 2 today. And uh, then we'll be off on Thursday, then back <clears throat> next Tuesday. Uh, and hopefully we'll get through ne- Romans chapter 3. Again, one of the most important chapters in the Bible next week. And so uh, you'll be aware of that. Romans chapter 2, as you study the life of Jesus. And so we, Sunday night, we were in Sermon 101 in our Matthew study. Matthew 26, 101 sermons through through the Gospel of Matthew. And if you have been with me there on Sunday nights as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew and as we've studied the life of Jesus, what you have seen, as I have seen, is that the most hateful, hostile enemies to the Lord Jesus were not the sinners, not the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the thieves, And the murderers, those that were most hateful and hostile to Jesus were the religious crowd, the religious folks. It was the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, who ensured that Jesus was tried, that he was convicted, that he was crucified. And the same thing was true in the life of the Apostle Paul. These religious people, the Judaizers, they, they hounded him, they hunted him, they followed him from city to city to city. Uh, and uh, they, they claimed, uh, these Judaizers, they claimed to be Christians, and yet they felt that Gentile converts uh, should be circumcised. Uh, they, they should at least keep that part of the Jewish law in order to be saved. That's what the Judaizers were. So Jesus was followed by the Jewish leaders. Paul was hunted and hounded by these Judaizers who claimed to be Christians, but were adding to uh, grace and faith uh, the idea of circumcision law. And they vigorously, really violently opposed uh, Paul's teaching and preaching on the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. And so, without a doubt, it was these religious people uh, who put more faith in their religion than in the Lord Jesus. And so that's kind of the background as we come to Romans chapter 2. And so as we come to Romans chapter 2, what you're going to see here uh, is that unlike the previous section um, uh, where where Paul addressed his Jewish readers in a relatively restrained manner, uh, here the mood is going to change. And what Paul's going to begin to do is he's going to begin to once again use what you might call a diatribe uh, style uh, that goes back to the the way that he approached the beginning of chapter 2. And um, as you begin reading here in just a minute, Romans chapter 2, verse 17, what you're going to see is that his tone, it becomes severe. It's striking. As he lays out before them the absolute necessity of bringing their life uh, and their conduct in line with their profession. So we have a a theme here this week. Uh, Your walk has to match your talk. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and again here on Tuesday. 
And so from this point on, again, to the end of the, the, the second major division there at the end of Romans chapter 3, verse 20, what you find is Paul is giving his, uh, the preacher, Paul's the preacher, and he's convincing his listeners uh, of their need for a different kind of righteousness. And uh, now if you'll remember, Paul has said in, over in Corinthians that his preaching wasn't eloquent. But it's hard to deny as you come here to Romans chapter 2 uh, that we are dealing with a dynamic rhetorical style. He is really <clears throat> playing the part, not playing the part, he is taking the part of the evangelist and he is seeking to persuade. And so beginning of verse 17, there is this series of conditional clauses. And each one of them begins with a premise that is assumed to be true. And so Paul is addressing his, his listeners absolutely directly. He said, now if you call yourself a Jew, and well, of course they did. And, uh, and so and that's why he's doing it. So pick up in verse 17, and just with that as background, notice what he says. He says, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and the light to those who are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say you commit, you do not, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the religious requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. ABCnews.com ABC uh, had this title of a post. Missing Navy veteran found inside his home had been dead for three years. And the article read, a Navy veteran found dead inside his apartment had been deceased for three years. And the case has left his grief-stricken family searching for answers as to how exactly this could have gone unnoticed for such a long period of time after they repeatedly reported his absence to the authorities. Ronald Wayne White, who would have been 51 at the time of his death in 2016, worked as a defense contractor and traveled around the world for work. His body was found last week when the DeSoto Town Center apartment complex was investigating multiple units of where tenants had not been using water. But when they forced the bolted door open to White's apartment, during their investigations, they found him dead on the kitchen floor. The medical examiner estimated that he had been dead for three years, according to ABC News Dallas affiliate WFAA. Now think about that. The respectable outward appearance of this apartment covered up what was on the inside. And that's the way that it is with a lot of people who walk around with this outward appearance of religiosity when in reality, inwardly, they are spiritually dead. They make every effort to look good on the outside, but there's no life on the inside. And what they're doing is they are focusing on the externals. And so as you begin to work your way down through here, 
Paul lists and Paul notices for us some of those externals that people uh, focus on. Some people focus on a religious heritage, a religious background, the fact that their family was religious. And you see that in verses 17 and 18. You know, growing up in a godly home like I was, that's, that's a wonderful experience. And a lot of times at our Discover Abilene class, I'll ask folks, you know, what's your background? How many of y'all were raised Baptists? And inevitably, there'll be somebody uh, who will say, well, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't raised in a, in a spiritual house and in a spiritual family. And uh, so growing up in a, in a religious home, a godly home especially, that's a wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, if there's anything to, to envy about uh, the Jewish home, it, it was the fact that it was usually and an unusually pious place. So Paul says here, Indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will. Watch this. Being instructed out of the law. So religious instruction, for sure. Uh, religious instruction in the home gives a child a great advantage, but it doesn't provide salvation. Uh, you know, somebody has wisely said, God has no grandchildren, and that's absolutely true. No matter how much the Bible is taught at home, no matter how many uh, <clears throat> prayer uh, times you have together every single night, no matter how well somebody is taught at home, every single person is still responsible for making a personal decision <clears throat> about his or her relationship with Jesus Christ. And so nobody's going to ride into heaven on the coattails of their grandparents or their, or their parents. Again, God has no grandchildren. And so I love it that our, our families have, again, that, that quiet time, the prayer time around the table. They, uh, when, when I was in college, I talked about this Sunday morning. When I was in college, I, uh, I lived with a godly doctor and his family. And I, I saw him every morning as I would head off to work in his office, having his quiet time in his office, on his knees, reading his Bible and praying every single night at 9 o'clock. If you were in the house, whether you were family, the children, or if you were just living there as a college student, you had to gather in the living room for, for devotions. And so that, that's a wonderful, amazing, awesome thing. It is a great thing to grow up in a family, to have a family where there is religious instruction. But just because you are raised in a family by parents who are religious, who are Christian, doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Again, um, you're not going to ride into heaven on the coattails of your parents or your grandparents. And so there are those who will say on the outside... I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a religious family. So, so I, absolutely, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. That, that's, the Jews would have said, I, what, these Judaizers would have said the same thing. No, they're focusing on the external. And the first external that Paul deals here in verses 17 through 18 is this religious heritage. But then in verses 21 through 24, there are those who focus on the religious rules, the rituals, the law, if you will. And um, there, there was a businessman who came to Mark Twain years ago and uh, he said, you know, before I die, I want to go to the Holy Land. I, I do. I want to go to the Holy Land. And I want to go to the Holy Land, and I want to climb the very top of Mount Sinai. And when I get to the top of Mount Sinai, I want to read the Ten Commandments at the top of my lungs. And Twain looked back at this businessman and said, I have a better idea. Why don't you go home and try to live them? And, um, well, it sounds good, but even that, you, you can't. You can't keep all of the law. You, 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 now, I pray that it got that man to thinking. But it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to follow the advice that Twain gave him, even if he had wanted to. And, and so what Paul is talking about here in verses 21 through 24 
is this religious idea. It's really a self-deception, if you will, that a person can keep the law. You can't. Uh, matter of fact, George Barna did a study back in the 90s, and uh, what he discovered was that 6% of Americans claim, that they believe, they completely follow each of the Ten Commandments. And yet Paul says in verses 21 through 24, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And, and so the impl implication is here, the answer should be yes. You see, the law can tell you what to do. The law can't give you the ability to do it, the power to do it, the strength to do it. The law just can't. The law is a school teacher to show you you can't measure up. That's one of the things I love. Um, there's a way of sharing the gospel. So I've got my favorite, which is share Jesus without fear. But there is another called the way of the master. And, uh, and basically what it does is it uses the Ten Commandments to show folks that they cannot keep the law and that they need a Savior. And that's basically what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 2. He is showing them, hey, you claim to be Judaizers. or you, you claim to be those who keep the law, even down to the circumcision. And you're saying that that's what's going to get you into heaven. You're, you're, not, you're misunderstanding grace and faith. And by the way, you can't even keep the law that you claim to keep. It's impossible. And so the law is a great school teacher. But what it does is it shows you that it is impossible to keep it all and that you desperately need a Savior. And so the very first thing that people will use as an outward external uh, uh, um, uh, evidence that they're, they're saved is this religious heritage. Number two is religious rules and rituals. And, and number, th number three, rather, is religious rituals. So religious rules, religious heritage, and religious rituals. That's verses 25 through 29. And so, uh, you know, if you know anything about Orthodox Jews, they love, they love their rituals. Uh, if you ever go to the Holy Land with me, if we ever get to go again, uh, you'll, you'll get to see the Orthodox Jews, and um, they love their rituals. I mean, I mean, down to the most minute. It's amazing. And uh, for the Jew, one of the most important religious rituals was circumcision. Seven days after a boy child uh, was born, uh, he was taken to the temple, or, or a priest would come to the home and remove that child's foreskin. And it was such an important rule. Think about this. It was such an important rule that if that, 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 eighth, that seventh day were to fall on the Sabbath, it was permissible. Now think about that for, for these folks. It was permissible. If it fell on the Sabbath, that seventh day fell on the Sabbath, if it was per, then it was permissible to violate the Sabbath in order to perform this religious ritual, this, this religious ceremony. And so circumcision, go all the way back to Abraham. Circumcision outwardly indicated that a person was part of God's covenant people. In latter times, though, later times, it was believed to be a necessity for salvation. That's these Judaizers. That's the, that's the Judaizers. And yet Paul says here, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. And so whether we're talking about the cutting off the part, a part of the body, wh whether we're talking about going to church, whether we're talking about being uh, confirmed, going through confirmation class, uh, giving to meet the budget, serving here, there, or yonder around the church, 
those are good things. They, they, could, they could very well be good things, but they can't save you. Religious people, what Paul is saying here, and we're going to get done earlier today. What Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 2 is that religious people need the Savior just as much as pagans and heathens. Just as much as the moralists that we looked at last time, just as much as the pagans in that first chapter, you need a Savior. And so you're not saved because you go to church. You're not saved. You're not a Christian because uh, you do good works. You're, you're not saved. For, you're saved when you realize you can't save yourself, that you need a Savior. And you call out to God in faith. You repent. And in faith, you ask God uh, to save you. And then you receive his grace. And that's what Romans is all about. It's mountain peaks of grace. Mountain peaks of grace. And it shows us here. And so this morning, if you're listening, or any other time that you're listening to this, this, this video, and you've never come to know Jesus Christ, maybe you're, you're like the ones that Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 2, and you're, you're relying on your, your background, your mom and your daddy, your granddaddy. Uh, they were Christians. Maybe they were pastors. Maybe they were strong church leaders, a chairman of the deacons, or something like that. You're relying on that, not going to get you into heaven. Maybe you're relying on the fact that you, you keep all kinds of rules. Uh, you try to live by the Ten Commandments. You try to follow the golden rule. You try to be nice to people, which, which is great. You ought to. Not going to get you one square inch of heaven. Maybe you follow religious rituals. Maybe you're part of a group, a faith group. that You have all these rituals. You have to do this and this and this and this. And if you do this, 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 and this, you go to heaven. <clears throat> not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. We are saved by grace through faith. That not of works, not of ourselves, not of, not of works, that, lest any man should boast. That's what Paul's going to say later on. Religious people need the Savior just as much as moralists and pagans.